You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. Thank you for being here this evening. My name is Ivani Devery. And I'm Eric Borlaug. And, and you're you are listening, listening to, to the, the Parsnip, Parsnip Ship. We are here in New York at Primary Stages, and tonight we will be reading Jose Rivera's School of the Americas. Featuring Felix Solis, Alfredo Narciso, Marisol Miranda, Danielle Davenport, JJ Perez, and Quinlan Corbett. What I want to know is what drew you to the life of Che? What, what, what was the moment that made you go, I want to know more about this man and, and write about him? <laughs> right. Well, I, it's, I have to confess, it was a very unromantic thing that brought me to Che. It, uh, it was a job. Um, I got hired to write the, um, the Motorcycle Diaries. And until then, I mean, he had been somebody I had, you know, studied and um, I had the poster in my college wall, um, you know, and, and had uh, read uh, several of his books um, about warfare and revolution and things like that. So I had, I had you know, a decent knowledge of the man. And when I was hired to write the film, um, and in my discussions with Walter Salas, the uh, Brazilian director, um, he really felt that the only film that anyone could ever make about Che was uh, was The Motorcycle Diaries, that his life was so big and, and kind of a, a melodrama in a way that really the most, uh, the simplest story one could tell would be his coming of age while he went on the road um, on his motorcycle with his friend. And, um, you know, from that point on, you know, I... I was hooked because I started I started doing much more research, and um, you know saw whatever footage there was of his life, talked to people, uh, read everything I could get my hands on, and in the course of that time I came across the story of Julia Cortez and um, you know the what I would consider Che's last friend before he was killed. And I thought that was a fascinating story. Um, not a lot is known about what they actually talked about. Uh, certain things are known. Um, she did say in interviews that he corrected her grammar uh, on the blackboard. Um, she did bring him soup. Um, uh, and, but I, I did want to imagine some kind of connection w when this man is facing the last day of his life and there's another human being in the room, uh, what connection do you create with that person? And, and if you're Julia, and you're looking at a man who's, a, who's on death row, essentially, um, what connection do you make with that man? And I really was really interested in the kinds of things that connect people under extreme circumstances. And what is it that we talk about um, when we can't talk about the obvious? We can't talk about death. We can't talk about 
how sorry we feel and how scared we are. Um, you talk about everything else. You talk about your children. You talk about love. You talk about um, your ideals. And I felt that in writing the play, I really wanted to explore um, in an unsentimental way. You know, what is it when two sort of romantic, romantic, anti-romantics get together um, to bear their souls in an extreme situation? School of the Americas by Jose Rivera. Act One, Scene One. La Higuera, Bolivia, night, October 7, 1967. Julia Cortez's house. One room serving as the living room, bedroom, and primitive kitchen. White walls, minimal rustic furniture, wooden floors, poor. Religious prints on the walls, crucifixes and images of Jesus. A radio, some books, windows, reveal a dark night. Julia Cortez and her sister Lucila Cortez listen to the radio. The army of President Barrientos is currently active on a number of fronts, building roads in difficult and isolated rural regions, distributing anti-guerrilla instructional matter and granting land titles to otherwise landless peasants, reflecting an effort of great personal importance to President Barrientos. The army is also giving out much-needed school supplies in these sadly deprived rural areas. This is Radio Piodose. Ay, what nonsense. If anyone's out there with new school supplies, I haven't seen them. I wonder if they're going to do that all night. Yeah. Just what the kids need. A lot of noise keeping them awake on a school night. I hear there's a general out there. Little stars all over his chest. He's the one they brought in by helicopter. Oh, I hear Barrientos himself is going to pay us a visit. You think so? Please, Lou. It's just a bunch of drunken soldiers acting like fools. Rosa Ana told me. You guys, stop that! I'm telling you, don't make me go out there! That there are Yankee soldiers out there, too. The ones giving the orders are Yankees. And when they're done torturing him here, they're gonna take the Comandante to Washington, D.C. for more torture. All right. We will now put a moratorium on the foolish gossip of Rosa Ana. Moratorium? Wait, let me grab my dictionary, Miss Moratorium. There will be no torture in La Higuera. They wouldn't dare. You don't realize a lot of important work is taking place only a few feet from this house. Instead of being honored, you're agitated. All day. In a bad mood. Well, when generals and helicopters land in your backyard, Lou, it's time to get a little agitated. But the men they captured are terrorists, Julia. Foreign guerrillas. I heard the radio. I know what Barrientos wants us to think. They say guerrillas do nothing but murder peasants, steal chickens, and rape women. I never heard they rape women. Rosa Ana heard it on the radio. Rosa Ana is an ignorant old gossip who loves to make things up. Why are you defending them? They're atheists. They worship money. Communists don't worship money. It's why the Yankees hate them so much. When men are atheists, there's nothing they won't do. Men tell the truth only when they think God is listening. Men don't steal when they know God's watching. Don't try to out-God me. 
I know my God. They don't blaspheme, cheat on their wives, invade other countries, or rape little girls. Oh, now the Gettyers are raping little girls. Look, I know you think I'm an idiot, not a smartass like you and Poppy. Idiot is your word. But I have two things better than education. Faith and instinct. And my instincts are loud, warning me to be careful to let our leaders do what they think is best and not let our big mouth get us in trouble. I will say whatever I want, whenever I want, to whomever I want. Little stars or no little stars. I know you. You think all this guerrilla activity is so damn romantic. You have no idea what I think. All they are, girl, are dirty, godless foreigners coming here uninvited to spill blood and take our land. So unlike the North Americans who are good and wise and actually belong in Bolivia. North Americans believe in God. You never met a North American in your life. All I can say is when you come across these North Americans, and I know you will because you never listen to me, you are polite, civil, and you make them know we are people of great pride and greater respect. I know how to act in front of strangers. These are not just strangers. They're strangers with very big guns. And you wonder why I'm in a bad mood. I know why you're in a bad mood. You saw him, didn't you? You saw them bringing him in. I really didn't see him too well. And by just looking at his face, you think, no, you know he's a good man with a good cause, and everything we hear on the radio from our side is crap. <laughs> Dear Lord, how did I end up with such a romantic? I saw nothing romantic about the man they dragged into La Higuera like a dog. That's not what Rosa Ana said. He's the most beautiful man she's ever seen. He looked like hell. Not like the pictures. More like one of those souls who lose their minds and wander the mountains like an animal. Like Uncle Joaquin. I still cry. Worse. Uncle Joaquin really did lose his mind. He didn't understand there's indignity to sleeping in ditches, peeing in his clothes, walking on all fours, competing with the dogs for food. No, the man they captured today wasn't lucky enough to lose his mind. Maybe God wants that communist to learn something. So the ropes tying his hands are meant to teach him a lesson? Wow, maybe I'll try that with my kids. Point rifles at them, humiliate them. Maybe my kids will learn so much, they'll be as smart as the geniuses of North America. Sarcasm is an ugly trait in a woman. Must be why I have so many suitors. Lou, he looked so scared. He kept looking into the crowd for someone to help him. And at one point, he looked right at me. I swear, my heart jumped. I thought, this man once had everything, and now he has nothing. What's it like to fall so far? Then the soldiers pushed us away from him. Rosa Ana says they're keeping him in the school. I thought we were putting a moratorium If that's on... true, first thing tomorrow, I'm going to the school to talk to him. Wait, wait a minute. When Papi was alive, if anything important happened in town, it fell on his shoulders. Since he's not here, it falls on me. But he's a prisoner of the state. Every person who walks into that ugly old building is my responsibility. No, you are to stay away. Do not get mixed up in things you have no... <laughs> now what's wrong with you? You really think you're gonna find a husband in that school? I swear. <laughs> Words full out of your mouth and... Lonely, Julia. No one in La Higuera is good enough for a snob like you. Now here's a man to make a girl proud.
Famous, handsome, and muy macho. I don't fool myself like that. Shut up. A sister knows her sister's heart. I know. I'll never have kids of my own except the dozen boys and girls who go to that school. I'm resigned to it. And I want to know why he came to this country. What he thought he was going to accomplish. What he thinks of our people. Uh-huh. And you won't be wearing your best dress either. Dear Lord, how did I end up with such a rebel? I thought you said I was a romantic. The worst kind. A rebellious romantic. Dying to fuck everything up. Julia crosses herself. Sis! Your language! You get in trouble with those soldiers, you're gonna hear a lot worse. Life isn't hard enough. You're one of the few women with a job. Someone people look up to because God gave you brains and dropped some fire in your heart. We have a decent home, and don't you get it? One wrong word with the North Americans, and it could all go away. Blown apart like something they hit with a bomb. Good thing they believe in God, huh? You go to jail, what's gonna happen to me? Who's gonna take care of me? That awful, stupid Rosa Ana? I'm not going to jail. I'm going to work. I work in that school. If there's someone in there, I'm going to talk to him. Because that's what I do. I don't plant fields, herd cattle, or make babies. I talk to people. Yes, you do. God help us all. Scene two, morning, October 8th, 1967. Outside the one-room schoolhouse in La Higuera, a mud-walled building, whitewashed with a dirt floor and two small dirt-covered windows. Guarding the entrance to the school are two young Bolivian army rangers, dressed for full combat, holding machine guns. Julia confronts Lieutenant Felix Rodriguez, a.k.a. Felix Ramos, 30, a tall, broad-shouldered Cuban national working for the CIA. Though it's threadbare and has holes in it, Julia is wearing her nicest dress and earrings. She's put effort into this. Miss, I have a horrendous situation here, completely fucked. And now the fucking Barrientos gang is breathing down my fucking neck. Julia crosses herself. Please don't curse in front of me. And the fucking North Americans are crawling on my asshole. And for all I know, Castro's got the hills around here filled with commandos and mercenaries from fucking Bulgaria. First, the noise last night. Unacceptable. You need to discipline each soldier who took part in that orgy of- Boys, you're in deep shit. Drop and give me 20. The rangers grumble quietly to each other and do 20 push-ups. You believe this shit, Cuban asshole? <laughs> Happy miss. Move on. And your prisoner. I need to see him. Right now. <laughs> who put you up to this? One of my guys? Sergeant. Do you know who I am? Lieutenant. Do you know who I am in this town? Who my father was? This is my school, and oh, I... Oh, well, there's not going to be any school today, I'll tell you that. I know that. But I think you should let me see... That ought to make your kids very happy. I expect to see a lot of smiling little faces in La Higuera today, celebrating a reprieve from the tedium of lessons and homework. Actually, my kids are upset by the violence. When they ask you who to thank for saving them from the boredom of their school day... Tedium. Boredom. Nice opinion if you have a public education, sir. <laughs> you tell them it was Lieutenant Felix Ramos, liberator, man of the people, who set them free. <laughs> if you'd listen... You'd know my kids don't feel very free right now. No, liberators should be thanked, no? In many nice ways. Hot meals, 
one place to lay my head after the hot meals. Hmm? Our school's not religious, but it's always been a sacred to us. Here, we respect the holiness of the mind. Seeing soldiers with guns around the school, knowing that the man inside is wounded, is probably dying. Miss, do you have any idea who I have here? And how dangerous he I is? I saw what he looked like when you brought him in. How dangerous can he be? He demolished industries, ordered the deaths of hundreds of innocent people by firing squad, prostituted our culture to the Soviets, and basically killed everything that was beautiful in Cuba. I don't know anything about that. Everyone has a different story about him. Well, for a teacher, you're woefully underinformed. Look, I represent the people of this town, and I must see for myself that no one is being mistreated in this school. It's a matter of the honor of La Higuera. What, are you the mayor or something? People looked up to my father. Now they look up to me. Yes, you are rather tall for a woman. No, you're rather short for a man. <laughs> we tried twice to interrogate him. He doesn't say a word. What makes you think he'll talk to you? Call it a woman's instinct, sir. Felix's eyes graced the pretty school teacher with not-so-subtle sexual appreciation. All his life, he's been a magnet for women like you. What is women like me? From spoiled rich bitches to naive revolutionary whores who fell under a spell. I guess it's happening even here in this fucking pigsty. Don't insult my intelligence. Or my intentions. Or my community. In my eyes, you're no better than he is another interfering foreigner. If you were my wife, I'd slap you across the face. Then fate's been kind to both of us. Do I go in with your permission or without it? Felix glances at the two rangers, amazed, impressed. These country girls are something else, huh? Give birth in the morning and plow a man's field that very night. Tell you what, miss. I like your balls. You don't look like a terrorist and I'm a generous man. I'll give you a half hour with him, but only if I'm in there with you. Alone. How can I leave you in there alone? <laughs> you think he's going to feel free to talk if you're next to me? Look, I just want to talk to him about nothing. The stupid weather. Nothing political or subversive. I promise we're not going to plot the overthrow of Barrientos. I just think, well, a man is secure and as powerful as you, would think it's merciful to let him have some human... Merciful? A word he barely fucking knows. Miss, do you think anything in life is free? The things that God... Nothing is free. You want to go in, I want information. If I let you in alone, then I need something in return. Now, don't say yes just to shut me up. These men have been planning violent revolution in Bolivia. That means your people die, your students suffer. If you love your country, if you have any patriotism in the heart beating in that pretty little chest, you'll tell me what you learned in there. You're not even Bolivian, what do you care? Are you Colombian? Panamanian? Don't be ashamed, tell me. Cuban, and I'm not ashamed. God, you're Cuban? The poor guy doesn't have a chance, does he? It's a lot more fucked up than you know, miss. You've no idea what I'm trying to do for him. If it was up to these Bolivian animals, he'd be dead already. If you want to do something for him, let me show him not all Bolivians are animals. Just for an hour. The information I ask for? Look, if I learn anything really important, I'll tell you. On your honor. On my honor. But you know he's not going to tell me anything you don't already know. He might surprise us. He does that a lot. 
Julia Stairisen. You admire him, don't you? He raped my country, stole my government, and delivered my beloved nation to the communists and atheists. What do you think? Felix delivers this as much for his men as for her. You may have a half hour with the prisoner, then you're to report back to me for debriefing. Yes, sir. Sergeant. My men and I will be outside at all times. Under no circumstances are you to touch the prisoner. Spread your arms and legs, please. Excuse me? I said spread your fucking arms and legs. Please. Julia stands with her legs spread and puts her arms up. Felix motions to the two army rangers who pat Julia down. They touch her inappropriately. Felix pats her down for good measure. Find what you're looking for in there? Inside. The first army ranger opens the door to the schoolhouse. Felix suddenly, violently, grabs Julia by the hair, pulls her head back. And don't you ever fucking mock me again, bitch. Blackout. End of Act One. Act Two. Felix and the two army rangers lead Julia into the dank, dark little schoolroom. There are a couple of small wooden desks along the wall. A rough wooden table serves as the teacher's desk. An old sleep backboard against the wall with Spanish verbs written in chalk being conjugated. The room is so impoverished it seems more suited to farm animals than to children. Lying in a small pool of blood on the dirt floor, his bleeding legs tied together and his arms tied behind his back is Ernesto Che Guevara, an Argentinian of 39. Che is emaciated. His thick black hair is long, matted, tangled, and his dark beard is long and wild. His clothes are tattered, his shoes are rags wrapped around bloody feet. He stinks like an animal. Che is exhausted, hungry, thirsty, in extreme pain. Che looks at the four of them with undisguised contempt. Outside. The army rangers turn to leave. You think they're gonna fuck? Fucking hope so. The army rangers are gone. Did you sleep well, Comandante? Disgusted by what she sees, Julia shakes her head. God, forgive the things we do to each other. I get the impression the Comandante is a bit depressed this morning. Why do you think I get that impression? Did you give him anything to eat? You're wondering what happened to your pal, Willie. He's still alive, in case you give a shit. Felix gets closer to Che, squats close to the ground. Look, I know you think we're pigs, and you have the right to invade a sovereign country and kill people and rape girls because... Liar. Because you have, what, some strange new form of moral superiority? I'm letting this woman talk My to name's you Julia, alone sir. for a few moments, not because I've got some hidden agenda or I'm trying to get information or convert you to the joys of capitalism, but because it's the, you know, humane thing to do. And we're not all a bunch of filthy, hopeless barbarians. Che adjusts his position to make himself more comfortable, but the pain is intense no matter what he does. Felix goes to Julia. I'll be outside if he threatens to hurt you in any way. As much as it pains these subversives to know this, no harm can come to you as long as you're under the care and protection of the Bolivian armed forces. Isn't that right, my Julia? Felix suddenly reaches out to touch her cheek. Julia pulls back, startled. Good. Felix leaves the room. Che doesn't look at Julia. He barely moves. 
The only sound is his subtle wheezing as his asthma kicks in. Next time I'll see if I can bring water and food. I can't believe they just threw you in here. I won't stay if you don't want me to. I, I don't work for them. I'm, I'm, from, I'm from here. La Yera. All my life. And I just needed to see what, what was... What are you doing here? I was... When they brought you in last night, I... Are you here with some curiosity? Are you here with the same curiosity a child feels when she's visiting the zoo? Yes. I was curious, but I'm not a child, and I won't be spoken to like one. You satisfied your curiosity. Look, sir, I just wanted to talk to you. That would require my listening. Why the hell should I listen to you? No reason. But I thought you might like... I don't know, someone. I mean, I can't imagine how awful... I abhor pity. I don't pity you. Take it outside and shower it on your country, miss. Pity the poor of Bolivia. The young men drafted into fascist militaries, taking orders from foreigners. Sir, I care about my country and my people. You shouldn't question... By the way you dress, I see your station in life is quite a bit higher than the average person of this town. How much pity can you show these people when you look down on them I don't from... look down on anyone. Who do you think you are judging me? You haven't looked at my face. How can you know who you're talking to? If the amorous Lieutenant Ramos brings you to me, what else am I to think? Amorous! I practically had to force my way into this school, and this is my school. Every sad, suffering inch of it, mine. Damn idiot. For the first time, Ched turns his eyes to Julia. What did you call me? Oh my god. I'm sorry. I can't believe... My sister's right. My big mouth. What did you promise the lieutenant? Any information I get from you. You're honest, at least. And you have a temper. I can respect that. Not everyone likes a woman who speaks her mind. I didn't say I liked it. I was this pigsty your school. I... I'm the teacher here. I've been teaching since I was 19. My father and I used to teach under a tree. We built this school together five years ago. Willie, my companion in arms, was a teacher. The only one of my men taken alive. Do you know where they're keeping him? I don't. Every time we captured a wounded enemy soldier, I personally treated their wounds. They're not going to treat Willie's wounds. They're going to let him sit in his own blood, and he's probably going to die we tonight. Don't... Well, we don't know that. It's in God's hands now. Is that what you teach your students? The fatalism of the church? Dead myths and fairy tales about some creature called God? God isn't a fairy tale, sir. God is... God is God. <laughs> Yeah. God is God. Look, I'll go. Julia is at the door. How many students do you have? Miss. Julia stops. Cortez. Julia, 
It depends. Um, it's never the same from day to day. It depends on the work they have to do for their families or if someone in the family is sick. Cool, this wouldn't be called a school. It's disgraceful. I can't believe it's only five years old. It has the smell of shit in it. This building would be called a prison in Goa. Yes. It's a poor school. We never put down a floor, and I don't keep it clean the way I should. But I do what I can to give my kids some... Do you know you made a mistake in grammar? Shred indicates the blackboard. What are you talking about? Right there. You conjugated the imperative form of huir. You wrote, tu huyes el huya, nosotros huyamos ellos huyan. Yeah, that's right. You left out vosotros huid. Normal people don't say vosotros huid. They most certainly do. They say it in Argentina. We're not in Argentina, are we? And it's a good thing because in Argentina they will probably wouldn't grant you a teaching license. Well, excuse me, but in some places on earth you don't need a license to teach. And that's a very useful excuse for incompetence. You don't know what you're talking about. Do you teach your children why they're poor? They're poor because their parents are poor. They're poor because they're in a system that keeps them poor. And you are part of that system. Are you saying I keep my children poor? If you don't teach them how their lives are manipulated by the Yankee imperialists, if all you do is apologize for the crimes of your government... I don't have time to teach them about systems. I teach them how not to die every day. Even when it's the system itself that's killing them? My father gave me, and La Higuera, everything he had. And with almost no help from the government or the church, we built this prison, as you like to call it, using his life savings. So our kids wouldn't go around thinking, I don't know, the world is flat or some sickness comes from witchcraft. Or not know there are actual numbers bigger than three. Of course, some days I have to contend with the machete, waving grandfather who thinks I'm teaching the children to be too independent or the irate mother who thinks I'm teaching their daughters to write love letters to their secret boyfriends, or the overprotective brother who wants to strangle me for using the word sex in class. And whether I like it or not, I come to work anyway, though I haven't been paid by the system in a year and a half. God, it'd be so much easier, trust me, to throw my hands up in despair and leave their education to nature or chance or to the insane old brujas of the town. Most days, I'm lucky to have five kids in here. And the rest are out there trying not to starve to death. Yet through storms, head lice, or crazy parents, I'm here every day for those five kids, sir. No questions asked. Oh, unless I'm attending one of their funerals, which I seem to be doing more and more of these days. Of course, it can't be easy teaching under these circumstances. Look, I know who you are. I know you spoke at the United Nations and had dinner with Mao Zedong. Actually, we just talked. Mao had a cold. He wasn't very hungry. Though. I know you don't need me to tell you anything. But it seems it's you, not me, who's looking down on these people. What happened? Did you come to Bolivia and expect my poor neighbors to bow down to you because you're the great Che Guevara? Huh? Didn't work out that way, did it? What gave it away? The bullet wounds in my legs? 
I came because I wanted to. I don't know, to help you in some way, I guess. Miss Cortez. Maybe you're right. I'm just a mediocre teacher. No, you said incompetent. That's nice. Thanks. I didn't mean to insult you. So I should go and leave you in God's hands. In the hands of the great myth. Please, don't leave me in God's hands. I'm sorry, but if I can't do good, I don't want to be here. Julia starts to leave. Miss Cortez, I'm ordering you to stay. Julia continues for the door. That is, I'm asking you to stay. Julia stops. I know it's not much, but I love my country, and I don't want to see anyone get hurt. But they say you invaded Bolivia Bolivia to... is an illusion. A fiction. That's the first thing you have to understand, Julia. I'm, I'm sorry, what? Bolivia is an arbitrary name given to arbitrary lines on some fat bureaucrat's map. And such stability, hmm? 200 governments since 1825. One every nine months. I know my history. Sad as the it is. The point is, we're all part of the same mestizo race, and except for the indigenous, we all speak the same language. Well, most of us. Yes, most of us. Julia goes to the blackboard, writes. Vosotros huir. There's the barest hint of a smile on Che's lips. Yet despite our shared history, we're told we're separate and distinct nations. Why? Who does this benefit? Do you think we do? We are isolated by these borders, weakened in the worldwide revolutionary struggle against colonial bondage, there are no borders, Julia. In the socialist transformation of humanity itself, Bolivia is Vietnam. Vietnam is Bolivia. Why are you smiling at me like an idiot? I know you're passionate about this, Mr. Guevara, but you really need to learn to talk to people like a person. Not like a speech you give at the Kremlin. Don't call me Mr. Guevara. It pisses me off. Oh, that's a lot better. See, even an old war horse can learn a few things. See, I'm not such a bad teacher, am I? No, you're not. Your children are lucky. You should tell them. I doubt I'll ever get the chance. We don't know what's going to happen. Nobody knows but God. Just have some faith. Faith is trash. Faith is excrement. I'd rather have a pistol and some ammunition. Julia crosses herself. I know God is great enough not to take offense at that. Offense? What God should take offense at is the condition of the people here, Julia. You can't tell me it doesn't affect you. The peasants, they live almost like savages here, in a state of poverty that breaks your heart. Entire families live and sleep and cook in one miserable room. They have no clothes, no water, nothing. I have eyes. I can see it. There I go. Lecturing again, forgive me. It's just... You mentioned God. There is no God evil enough to allow these injustices to go unchallenged. Where is God? Hmm? Is he asleep? 
as the old fart died? For the love of God, please don't say things like that in front of me. I'm sorry. I just don't understand how you can sleep at night knowing that this well, is... Well, what about Guba? Isn't Guba poor? Why didn't you stay there? Why don't you help them? Guba is very poor. But what I see in your country is a despair I've never experienced in Cuba after the revolution. Never. You can't tell me when you look in your children's eyes that you don't see it. I see some amazing things when I look in my children's eyes. I'm sure you do. Are you married? Do you have a family? I have a wife in Cuba, Aleida. We have four. Aleusha, Celia, Ernesto, and Camilo. My ex-wife is Hilda. Our daughter is Hildita. What's she like, Aleida? She loves the movies. She loves to dance. She loves green things. And last year when I returned to Cuba from the Congo, no one was supposed to know that I was back. No one but Fidel and Aleida and a few of the government. But I was desperate to see my children before I left for Bolivia. I went home in my disguise. The hairs on my head were pulled out one by one until I was bald. I wore thick glasses and I pretended to be their Uncle Ramon the hardest thing I ever had to do. Say goodbye to my children without letting them know that it was me. When I hugged Alyusha tight, she went running back to Aleda and she said, I think that old man's in love with me. It's everything I could do to keep from. Well, I don't know how Aleda controlled herself. That's. That's the kind of woman she is. Do you miss her? Don't ask me stupid questions. Yet you're here, a million miles from home. Fighting for my ideals so my children's world will be more just, more humane. You don't think they'd rather have you at their side? That your presence would make their world better? They understand why I'm here and they approve. That's all I have to say about it. I know I'd rather have my father with me than to know he died for his ideals. Have I died already? I thought I was still alive. Of course Unless you, are. you know something, I don't. No, I'm sorry. Do you know what Ramon plans to do with me? No, I just... I think of those idiots out there. What about you? Are you married? Where's your family? My family is my sister and me. She's sick. Most foods disagree with her, and there are so many shortages here... She's malnourished. I take care of her. There's no one else. No husband, no man. Hmm. You're still young and very, well, not at all that unattractive. No reason for you to be alone. Yes, well, my work doesn't leave a lot of room for romance, no matter what my sister thinks. She's always making fun of me for being... A pathetic, romantic fool. Imagine that. This is a world where life can get so small and simple. 
Men raise pigs and grow quinoa and potatoes. And there's birth and death and the little unimportant things that happen in between. And yet those little things are everything, don't you think? <laughs> You're a hypocrite. You know that? Are you actually laughing at me? Those little things, Che. I mean, Mr. Che. It's Che. Actually, it's El Che, but you can drop the L if you wish. Weren't they the things you had before you came here? A wife, her smile, her words, your children's voices in the morning. You had them. They were yours. But they weren't enough for you. You wanted... To change everything and everyone around you. Yes, the whole crazy world. I'm sorry. I don't mean to criticize you. I can take criticism. I'm sure you can, but I'm in no position to judge you. Leaders must be judged. I guess I just don't understand you, and I know, and I don't know. I guess if it was me and I had your life, I would have been happy, and I would have stayed home to savor all the good things that were coming to me, the things I earned from my hard work. Such as? My children's love. A love that can change the world. <laughs> A love that can change the world. That's brilliant. The devotion and trust of my spouse. The years as they add up on my children's faces. The world reflected in their eyes. A family that's like a coat on, that you spread around your body and nothing can harm you. Not disease or sadness or old age. Someone to say your name in a voice no one else in the world uses. Yes, you must drive your sister absolutely crazy. It would be nice if you would take what I say seriously. I bet you've been thinking this romantic nonsense all your life. Yes, well, La Higuera can be a lonely place. Yet you've never left. I didn't see a reason. Funny. I've done nothing but leave. You're a man. You're allowed. Bullshit. You could have left. In Cuba, many women besides Aleda left the safety of their homes to fight in the Sierra Maestra. The world is in Cuba. Well, it should be. And someday it will be. And schools like this won't exist. Every place will have new, modern schools with actual floors and large windows and the latest textbooks and not just one sorry, burned-out teacher who can't conjugate, can but an army of dedicated teachers working around the clock. And not only will they educate children, they will educate the family. It's pointless to bring a child to school only to send them home to ignorance and superstition. Learning must happen every minute. Mothers and fathers must be educated and must be able to teach each other their children and every child in the village. Can you imagine a world of constant learning? Every person will simultaneously be teacher and student. Chair stops, <coughs> a stabbing pain in his stomach doubles him over. Chair coughs, spits up blood. I believe they let you lie in here without... I'm all right. <coughs> It'll pass. I can call the lieutenant. I'd rather vomit my lungs. It's disgusting what they're doing to you. I can't believe my own government would let... If your government allows such poverty and misery, why are you surprised they treat a combatant like this? We're supposed to be a God-fearing Christian nation. Uh, it's been in my experience. The more a country invokes the name of God, the more likely they are to torture and destroy their own and other people. You can't be naive about the intentions of your government, especially since you don't really have a government. <clears throat> you sure you're okay? Your government has 
a government. Did you know that? And it's this greater government which really controls what happens in this school. Who do you think your friend Lieutenant Ramos works for? Please don't call him my friend. North Americans trained the specialists and mercenaries who hunted me down. North Americans pay Ramos to interrogate me and photograph my journal and torture my companions. North Americans shove money up the ass of your president Barrientos and force the right words to come out of his mouth. Julia looks at Che, a little shocked over his last metaphor. Now what is it? I I'm sorry, I, I don't like... I, I know you're a soldier. My language? Yes, your language. I I'm sorry, I... The North Americans <laughs> fuck Barrientos up the ass in order to make the cocksucker do their bidding. That language? Oh, God. That, that's really bad. Julia crosses herself. Don't do that. Do what? Cross yourself. Why not? It's inane. It does nothing but make you look like an ignorant ape. I'm sorry, but I will cross myself as often as I need to. To ward off the evil of evil because language? Because it puts me closer to God. Ass. Julia crosses herself. Stop it. Fucking the ass. Julia crosses herself. Oh, God. Big, fat, gross tits covered in the semen of the local priest. Julia crosses herself. My God, I can't believe this. You're going to burn in hell for this. Really? For how long? Eternity! Not long enough. Lyndon Johnson likes to fuck the Pope up his holy butthole with a 12-inch crucifix! Enough! Please! <laughs> the door opens. <coughs> Felix comes in, his gun drawn. Felix sees Julia in the corner, laughing, then looks over at Chad, lying on the ground, laughing. Felix shakes his head, suspicious and slightly annoyed. Party ends in two minutes. Felix closes the door. Ignorance. Repression of speech. Exploitation of children. Economic slavery. Structural injustice. Torture. Rape. Poverty. I'm disappointed, Julia. These are some of the dirtiest words in the language, and yet you don't even... Julia slowly crosses herself. I guess I'm an ignorant ape. If my hand was free, I'd be doing the same thing. I'm sorry I got so stupid about your language. Like a damn six-year-old. You need to get out of the house more often. I do. I haven't laughed like that in... I don't know what's going to happen. My army is decimated. I have no way to communicate with the outside world. These barbarians could torture me until I die. I wouldn't let that happen. I, I swear to God, I would, I would not let them touch you. I appreciate your... Look, in my eyes, I know you laugh at my fate, but God tells me to never allow another woman or man to suffer if I can stop it. I will prevent it, I promise you. I believe you believe what you're saying. What I'm trying to say clumsy, I know, is that I won't forget our conversation. I'll never forget your name. And that you came to be with me today when everyone else, it seems, has disappeared, forgotten. Loneliness is a curse. 
can break you down faster than starvation itself. It fills the world with fear. You're lucky. You're never going to be alone because you have, for want of a better word, God. Now, was it really that hard to say? Yes, it was, actually. You, you have that. And you'll never be alone. And me? I have you. Today and tomorrow, no matter what happens, I have God because I have. The door opens. Felix comes in with the two army rangers. You're finished. Not sure what to do. Julia is motionless until one of the army rangers shoves her toward the door. Ramos! What's going on? Careful how you handle her. I will not tolerate it. Oh, you won't? What the fuck are you going to do about it? What are you going to do? Take her out. The first army ranger grabs Julia's arms and pulls her out the door. I honestly don't know another man alive. Though he's tied up, beaten in battle, held prisoner, and reeking of fear. Can still make two sovereign nations shit their pants. You're a marvel, Mr. Guevara. It helped me, Moron. The second army ranger helps Felix lift chair to his feet. Cables and radio communiques are flying between La Paz and Washington, D.C. because of you. Here's a secret. President Rene Barrientos is not your buddy. Barrientos is as illegitimate as you are. He was elected by the people. After he came to power in a coup. Such noble friends, Ramos. Well, my noble friend wants us to cut off your dick, shove it in your mouth, cut your head off, and send the whole sweet package to Castro for his birthday. That's a direct quote. The United States... Your fucking employer. The United States... My fucking employer would like to keep you alive long enough to ship you to Panama for interrogation. There's a U.S. helicopter a few miles from here ready to take you to a battleship off the coast of Chile. Nobody can seem to agree on what to do with you right now. Frankly, if it was up to me, I'd drown you in a lake of shit. Alas, I don't get what I want. So until these morons can figure out what to do with you, you're going to live at least another day. More than I can say for your pal Willie, by the way. He died alone. Ten minutes ago while you were having fun with your girlfriend. Don't be sad. It's time to smile for posterity. Felix and the second army ranger drag Chad to the door. His wounded leg makes him unable to walk or stand for very long. Outside the school, Julia stands with Lucila. They hold each other as Felix brings Chad into the sunlight. Lucila, getting her first look at Chad, gasps, crosses herself. Chad squints, not used to the brightness. He looks around until he spots Julia. Julia, come closer. Julia steps toward Che, but the first army ranger roughly blocks her way. The second army ranger has a camera. Felix stands with Che, rigid, enraged, humiliated, as the second army ranger gets his picture. A bright flash. Blackout. End of Act Two. Delirante que habrá 
atormenta mi corazón siempre tú estás conmigo en mi tristeza estás en mi alegría estás conmigo en mi tristeza estás en mi alegría The next afternoon, inside the schoolhouse, Chad lies on his side, asleep, arms tied together, the pant leg over his wound is caked in dried blood, pus, and mud. His hair is wild and tangled. The door opens. Felix enters. Behind him, holding a pot of hot soup, is Julia. They both look at the sleeping Chad. What's going to happen? It's out of my hands. I know you're a soldier, and soldiers follow orders, but don't you have any say? You goddamn peasants don't understand shit. 
My boss tore me a new asshole for what happened yesterday. You don't understand the risks I'm taking with you. And I'm doing these things for you without asking anything in return, and I could ask for a lot. If you want to, you can take whatever you want. Without asking. I have that power. Power over a powerless peasant schoolteacher, but no power over him. It's the way the cards would go. Ten minutes. Then? I stand by the radio day and night waiting for an answer to that question. Felix goes to Chet and kicks him lightly on the backside. Guevara! <coughs> Chet stirs, sits up. <coughs> Felix turns to Julia. Last time. Felix leaves. <coughs> Julia stands at the door, holds the suit, nervous. My sister thought... I'm glad you're back. He likes some chicken soup. God knows the good lieutenant isn't going to feed Did you. Did you sleep well? Um, no. Are you hungry? I'm sorry. It's the second day in a row that I've kept you from teaching school. Oh, believe me, I don't mind, and for the most of my kids, you're a hero. It smells so good. I killed the chicken myself. Twisted its neck with my own two hands. Nothing like a little home cooking. Julia approaches Che. Kneels at his side, holding the soup. Julia puts the pot of soup on the ground and folds her hands in prayer. What the hell are you doing? Dear God, the food you put in our bodies is one of your truest miracles. Please give us, today and always, the intelligence, grace, and civilized humility <clears throat> to be thankful <clears throat> for it. Amen. Amen. Oh, fucking Christ alive. Amen. Thank you. Julia brings the steaming pot close to Che's face and spoons the hot soup into Che's mouth. Connected by the food, Julia and Che are both aware of the fragile but real intimacy of this gesture. Oh, God. God, God, God. Do you like it? She continues to spoon-feed him through the following. This. Oh, for this alone you deserve. Shut up and enjoy. I'm surprised they let you come back. I came to the school this morning all prepared for an argument with the lieutenant, but he was strangely passive with me. I didn't understand it. What's happening out there? It's real quiet. The helicopter that brought the lieutenant is just sitting there waiting. It's like all of my neighbors are hiding. People aren't speaking. Soldiers? Same number as yesterday, as far as I can tell. Journalists? I don't think so. I don't think anyone knows about this but us. Have they brought in any more of my men? I haven't heard anything. Anything about what they might do to me? Nothing. Is there any way that you can find out for me? I'll try. I will. Did you dream? I dreamed of Cuba. Really? That's what the lieutenant told me. Last night he dreamt of Cuba. Different Cuba. I was flying over Cuba. There were cold hands on me. The sun was bright, but I couldn't close my eyes. Many strange voices, but I couldn't really hear them. He told me he dreamt about the two of you, walking together on the beach, having a pleasant conversation. 
like brothers. I don't think I like him talking to you so much. Really? Why not? It's not important, miss. I was thinking this morning how much you would have liked my father. He was the tallest man in the province. Taught himself to read. The unelected mayor of La Higuera. The man with all the answers. <laughs> he could mesmerize a plaza full of people. Never turned down a beggar or turned away a child who wanted to learn. My sister was never happy I decided to follow in his footsteps and teach school. She blames my profession for the fact that I never married. Which is true, I'm afraid. And the fact that my father spoiled me a little when it comes to what a man should be. Julia scoops up the last of the soup and gently puts the spoon in Che's mouth. Julia and Che make long eye contact in silence as he swallows the delicious food. Sorry that their temporary physical bond is about to end. They hold onto it for as long as they can. Your father died. Five years ago. You don't have to talk about it if you don't. We were in the middle of building this school. A man who was never sick a day in his life. And there were times when everyone in La Higuera would have a stomach virus or a fever. Not Papi. We were working on the roof. Almost finished. It was the last thing we had to do before putting down the floor. We announced an opening date and there were lots of excitement, though. As I said, some thought the school would ruin the kids, make them disrespectful and lazy. The sun was right above us. He was carrying the palm leaves up the ladder. Five straight hours of this. He stopped, turned to me. In his eyes was such violence, like something inside was wrestling with his soul. It was the first time I ever saw him lose a fight. He said, Hulin, finish it, and fell. My sister wanted to tear this building down with her bare hands. First it took his sanity, then his health, now his life. While my sister screamed, I finished the school myself with the help of, of, of a friend. Climbed that ladder and put up the last of the roof. And in my ignorance, I called it a prison. I'm sorry. You don't have to say that. I'm sorry I didn't bring more to eat. I don't think I've ever had a more delicious meal. Oh. And my father was a wonderful cook. Jesus Christ, you're right. I don't see how any man can compete with that. <laughs> he had the power to change the way you breathe. Do you ever know anyone like that? Only two. Fidel and my mother. She more than he. Men don't usually say that about their mothers. I've been lucky. I've had a conversation with Beauvoir... Sartre, Mao, Nasir. No one kicks my fucking ass in an intellectual argument like my mother. Sorry, I said fucking ass. <laughs> I must be getting used to it. One of the saddest days of my life was the day that I was in Africa and I got word that she died. I felt as if everything that connected me to Argentina was split that day, cut with a knife, and I was truly homeless. Are you afraid? Do you think it matters what I feel? You're not a face on a piece of currency. You're a man. 
You men feel. I should have never been captured. I should have died in battle. Then it would have been all over. Exactly. Now my story continues. Even if they execute me, they have my body to do whatever the fuck... Whatever they want. They'll display me and say I died begging for my life, cursing Fidel, wetting my pants. But I'll know. I'll remember. I'll fucking remember, Che. If my hands were free... What? I think you should be married. You sound like my sister. Mm, don't laugh. Marriage is a good thing for some people. Sorry, but I don't think you're a good spokesman for marriage. What are you talking about? I was an exemplary husband. Twice. <laughs> I was. When I was around. Uh-huh. And when I had the time, I gave my wife and children an example to follow, tried to live up to my own rhetoric and ideals. That's not insignificant. It's just boring. Did did you just call me boring? I... Uh, once I had a boyfriend. Maceo Marin Palacios. The friend who helped us build a school. Big dark hands. Rough like the wood of a, from a tree. I touched them a couple of times. You'd think his rough fingers would be repulsive. Papi knew. And I wanted Maceo Marin Palacios to worship me. So if he closed his eyes, he would describe me inch by inch to a blind man who would see me perfectly in the black theater of his mind. My God, what am I going on about? Oh, What's the point? Worship? Maceo? That hungry little man with a simple-minded wife and two sick kids? For a few months, we worked side by side in silence. I touched his hands exactly twice and I waited for a response that would change my life. He looked at me, and those eyes burned for something. Or maybe I just invented it. An idiot girl who always seems to fall for a married man. Has he died? No. I see him almost every day. And nothing happens between us. I teach his kids who are sincere, but slow and sad. And I go on like this. Unworshipped, opinionated, too busy, and intimidating. A thoroughly difficult woman in a world of very weak men. You could always marry the gallant and handsome Lieutenant Ramos. My dear God, could you imagine? I know from experience that the Cubans are very, well, they're pretty good at... I, uh, and the babies we'd make. Julia leans in quickly and kisses Chad lightly on the cheek. It's hard to tell which of them is more surprised by this. I've got you cursing and kissing married men in just two days. <laughs> That's what I call a teacher. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I, I didn't come here to do that. Maybe you did, and maybe you shouldn't punish yourself. No? Really? good Catholic girl that I am. What would we do without the Catholic Church keeping the world supplied with guilt and shame? I'm now resisting the urge to cross myself. <laughs> I've been lying to everyone. 
I had a million reasons having to do with the honor of this town to see you. I wanted to see you because, well, because you're Che Guevara. If I had the chance to meet Che Guevara, I'd take it too. <laughs> oh God, it's just, with you. With me what? I don't get how a man like you, cultured and kind, but you're a soldier, a, a war machine. You get up in the morning to kill. And they say you're merciless and brutal, yet I look at you and I don't... When I pictured the kind of man, I... How do you love a killer? Is that what you're asking? Why do you say love? I don't know. It's not a word I like to throw around. I don't believe you. I bet you love everything. You love sunsets, you love water, you love music. Actually, I'm tone deaf, can't keep a beat. You love love itself. And because of that love, the world has opened itself up to you and said, you, sir, are different. You can take any path you want. Success waits for you everywhere. Yet with all those choices, you choose war. War chose me. And you answered so quickly. You couldn't wait to give that awful mistress your blood and the blood of others. And who suffered? The family that misses you. Men like Willie. Countless souls who have died in all your struggles. And you, Che, your soul has suffered too. God and soul, two of my least favorite words. A lot of people out there hate you. I know you know. But you don't understand every face of war. Even the worst has two sides. There's only one soul in you, Che, and you let it get corrupted. One day, yes, you're impaling your enemy, a man who just happened to grow up on the opposite side of the border. Next, you're giving his children candy and water. And that isn't a kind of madness? It's all madness. Nations, tribes, religions, different chapters in one great human book of madness. Why should a good man like you be part of that? Why couldn't you work for peace with the same intensity? Jesus fucking Christ, Julia, there is no peace for the kind of enemy I am fighting. I was brutal to the brutal. I met madness with equal madness. I drank as much blood as I could drink because I knew one day they'd be drinking mine. That's the contract we have with each other. That's what we depend on to give our existence meaning. That's the only life that means anything to me. It just... Don't be angry. It just breaks my heart to know this about you. You can't convert me. Shape me like clay into some other form, something easier to live with and accept. If you've fallen in love with me, I mean, I'm sorry. If our friendship upsets you, then that's something that you're going to have to just... Am I alone? What do you mean? Am I the only one? Upset by our friendship. What do you think? I think you're not answering my question. Julia, how can I answer it? Well, I'll tell you honestly, I don't think I'm alone. I can't be. Then that's your answer, so let's leave it, please. Yes, all right, if that's all you can say. 
God damn you, stop looking at me like that. What way? Like I've disappointed you. I hate that look. My mother was a master of it, and so was Aleda, and my daughters. It drives me crazy. I thought you said you didn't mind being judged. Actually, it makes me crazy. Yes. I could have done many other things with my life, but I didn't. I broke the hearts of two good women and five beautiful kids. I led men and women to their deaths. And what have I gotten from my struggles and compromises besides a corrupted soul, as you say? Faces and stories, Julia. Several lifetimes of faces and stories. There's the face of the confused farmer who sees your column approach, and he hasn't had a stranger on his land in years, and your guns scare him, and his toothless wife is sure that your sorcerer is out to steal their one pathetic pig. And you talk to him about freedom and Marx and the proletarian struggle, and he shakes his head because he doesn't know he's in a struggle against any other force but the naked earth itself. And all the time, he wants you to leave him alone to the unchanging, stubborn land that's his birthplace, his prison, and his grave. There's the face of the ecstatic crowd as you ride into the capital city, sitting on a captured tank, and the world's cameras are on you, and the dictator has fled, and it's New Year's Day, and... The Yankees are astonished, and the Soviets have not yet corrupted your vision, and along the narrow streets are young men dying to join your triumph, and beautiful young girls throwing flowers, and something sacred. Yes, I'll even use the word God, unironically. Something like God has touched these hopeless people, and freedom is swift and tangible, and at that moment you know why you were born. Then there's the face of your dead friend boy who grew up in a rural town and never dreamed that history was going to sweep him up and put him at your side in this grand universal struggle and his loyalty is brutal and his sacrifice too many to count and you love this skinny little boy you love that he's read every book that you've recommended and went without food for you in the jungle and believes believes in his passionate rural heart that the struggle is worth every minute of pain and dread that you've inflicted on him. And when he dies, and he looks at you with those fading eyes and he doesn't blame you, in fact, in his dying moment, he loves you more than ever. And he whispers your name in his final pain and desperate animal panic, and he thanks you. Then you know what war is about. You know what you could never fully teach another living person. Last, there's the face of defeat. A face worse than the face of death. When your enemies are as big as gods and your humiliation is total and death seems like a sweet escape. That's my face, Julia. That's the face Ramos captured in his camera yesterday, the last my children and my comrades will ever see of me. Ask them for mercy. Demand it. Che, you want to live. You want to see Aleda again, and your kids. You want to live to fight again. Do I? 
Do I really? What do you mean? I made so many goddamn mistakes on this campaign. It's like I wanted them to capture me. You don't believe that. Please don't make me out to be more than I am. I'm a small, failed, stupid man. Even like this, I've never seen anyone so strong. Worship the struggle, Julia. Worship the promise of change, but don't worship me. Or any of the petty men and women who pretend to lead you. You can only know how you affect people, even your enemies. Bullshit! I am a goddamn joke. Do you know why I chose Bolivia? Because it's in the center of the continent. And I thought I could export a world-shaking revolution, north, south, east, and west, all with a handful of scared young men. And you know why I thought that I could do that? Because Fidel did it. With a couple of men, he changed a hemisphere. But I'd march into these towns and try to talk to these people about land redistribution and social justice and cooperative farming, and half of them didn't even speak Spanish. And there I was, Ernesto Guevara Lynch, telling these dark, ancient people how to live their lives. What choice did they have but to betray me to the army? It could take our people a hundred years to really understand. You haven't had a hundred years, and I bet you've changed more minds in an afternoon than I've done all year. You don't know how I failed here. You don't know. All year. In Bolivia. I kept a journal of everything I thought and felt. Here's something I didn't write, because I was too ashamed. It was particularly bad day, and we were running low on ammunition and medicine. Morale was pure shit. The asthma was killing me. We hadn't recruited a single Bolivian peasant that month. My men were reduced to eating birds and monkeys and drinking their own urine. Then my horse panicked on the trail and nearly threw me. And I jumped off the poor creature and I pulled out my knife, and before I knew what I was doing, I stabbed it in the chest over and over again. Julia, there was so much blood. It was crazy. All I wanted to do was kill everyone who had betrayed us, every fucking hard-headed Bolivian in this fucking hopeless country. Then it got its blood in my eyes and mouth, and I fucking swallowed it. I was in a rage, a blind, horrendous fucking until my men pulled me from the screaming animal and I suddenly felt so sorry for it. I tried to pat his head. Can you believe that? With my bloody hands, I stroked his head, crying like a fool until he died and I never once cried for any man I lost. So this is the kind of man you want to love? Ultimately, the horse got his own revenge. From that day on, I had to walk. Julia wipes the few tears on Tred's face that got through. Ramos came in last night, stinking drunk. Told me he'd prefer to rescue me. Fuck Johnson, fuck Barrientos. But he's afraid of making a big historical mistake, like Batista when he let Fidel and Raul free, so. He can't save me. What if someone He says the North Americans want to keep me alive to interrogate me. The final irony of my life is that I might end up in Cuba. In a prison in Guantanamo Bay. And neither Fidel, nor Brezhnev, nor Mao have enough power to stop them. I can get you out of here. My girl, even if you could, we wouldn't get very far. I know every young man in La Higuera. They owe me. They'd help us. And when they caught you, 
I've seen what enraged soldiers do to civilian women. I didn't sleep much last night. I, I stayed awake half the night thinking about this. You say one more word, Cortez, and I will call the lieutenant in here myself. If there's a chance... The only chance I have is the mercy of President Barrientos. But not you. You, you can keep teaching. You keep trying to raise these kids above the goddamn mud that the system keeps throwing at them. There's heroism in that. No less profound and necessary than a soldier's. Don't. I've been lucky. Here, in this shithole, surrounded by death, fate has given me you. One last inspiration. Don't lie to me. You have everything you need to change this country, Julia. Tomorrow morning, you are going to dry your pretty eyes and walk outside, and if you have to, pull every student in La Higuera out of their house by their ears and make them sit and understand that the simple fact that they are human beings, not dumb beasts as they've been taught all of their lives, that that simple fact is the most powerful in the world and you will change them. And this school will finally be a school and never a prison again. Why do you lie to me? Look, I don't want to die. But I am not afraid of leaving this world or leaving behind the words and memories of the ones who hate me or entering whatever void or silence that's waiting. My death will not hold back the march of revolution in Latin America. I know I will not outlive my ideas. I will fertilize them with my blood. Hulin, try to find me where you can. Please. Not in something as romantic and ridiculous as the damned sunset, no. Look for me, if you can, in the bright, clear things you see in the eyes of those kids you love so much. It's all a lie. I'm a fraud. I hate this school. I hate every stone in it. I hate coming here every morning. I hate the indifferences in their eyes. The awful suspicion that maybe the last thing these boys and girls need is an education that leaves them dissatisfied with their lives. It's why it looks the way it is. Unfinished, broken, because I don't have the heart to try anymore and I've lost my love for it. No. This school killed my father, it killed my spirit, and now it's killing you. Come closer. Julia comes closer to the chair and gently rests her head on his chest. The door opens. Felix appears. Julia pulls away from Che. Jesus, that wasn't 10 minutes. No, it was more like 30. Let's go, Cortez. What happened? What, what did they decide? We're not fucking around here. Felix lifts Julia roughly. The first and second army rangers appear at the door. Ramos! What's going to happen to him? Felix pushes Julia toward the door. The army rangers grab Julia. Before she can turn around to look at Chad, they pull her out of the schoolhouse and close the door. I'll tear your fucking heart out! Easy. Easy. Felix takes out a knife, goes to Chad, and cuts the ropes around his wrists and feet. 
use this. Free of bondage, Chad struggles painfully to his feet. Two years ago, I went to the CIA with a plan to kill your buddy Castro. They liked it. They liked me. I was very likable back then. They gave me a nice new rifle from Germany with a telescope on top. Told me about a house in Havana where Fidel liked to hang out and the house nearby where I would hide and shoot and make history. They put me on a fast boat in Miami and at night we crossed over to my dear wounded Cuba, but our contact failed to arrive. This happened three nights in a row. The contact never came. The CIA took my nice new rifle away and said they changed their minds. <laughs> you can understand my disappointment. Here we are, the three of us. He's fat and happy in the dictatorial hell he's created on that island, and you're here still fighting for him like a fool, and I'm in the middle. Che, where's he been? Why hasn't he helped you? Sent money or men or support in, in an entire year? He wouldn't order your assassination. That's too crude even for him. He just sent you out to the jungle. I sent myself here. It was my choice. You know, with a half-emaciated army and two rusty guns and his borrowed ideology and let you die slowly from a lack of friends. The shit you smell comes from Moscow, not Havana. In a country racked by strikes and an active communist party, you think I'd get support, but I got nothing. If the Bolivian communists raised one finger on my behalf, we wouldn't be here right now. Look, no recording devices on me, no one taking notes. Tell me, once and for all, you know Castro betrayed you. That if you had the chance, if you knew what he was really going to do to the people of that gorgeous land, that you personally would have met me at the beach and taken me to that Havana rendezvous and helped me put a nice German bullet in his head. Cuba's the first free territory of the Americas. That's what really sickens you. Felix pulls out his revolver and points it at Che. Do whatever you're gonna do, you damn coward. I am just a man. You are. Just not the one I really wanted to get. Felix holsters his gun. I did everything I could. Spent most of the night radioing everyone I could at the State Department. But a couple of men just arrived from the Bolivian High Command and they're not here as tourists. Yes. It's better like this. Do you have any messages for your family? Tell Fidel he will soon see a triumphant revolution in America. Tell my wife to forget this and remarry and try to be happy. And tell my children to study hard and be good revolutionaries. Impressed with Che's courage, Felix steps towards him. You are what they said you'd be. Felix embraces Che. Surprised, but understanding, Che holds him. Felix leaves. Che looks around at the dark, silent schoolhouse, the last place he'll ever know, stumbles to the blackboard and erases. Vosotros huid. Blackout. End of Act 3. <coughs> Act 4, Scene 1. Half hour later, 
Julia's house. Lucila has made lunch. Lucila and Julia sit at the table in silence, food between them. Preoccupied, Julia can't touch her food. Helicopters, God, they're just crazy, you know? Why don't they have wings? How do they stay up? I don't know, Lou. At one time, they would have called that magical. A thing that stays up in the air without wings? Angels and spirits must be holding it up. But today, in this godless world, it isn't angels that hold things up in the air, it's science. Science my ass. Of course it's science. Julia, I said ass and you didn't even blink. Sometimes, Lou, for some reasons known only to God, he decides to bring the whole world to your door with all its noises, its dreams, its gorgeous monsters, and manages to quietly crush everything you know. Why would he do that? Look, Angel, there are other men in the world. Stop. I have no idea what you're talking about. I know my romantic sister. You think all I do is think with my heart. And that there aren't other organs in me fed with something other than blood and tears. I know you better than you know you. I just leave me alone. I won't because I see you wasting away here. You think all I do is think about myself. All right, I do think about myself a lot. But I notice things. You're getting old here. Teaching blind little kids to see, deaf little monsters to hear, and no one says thanks. I don't want that for you. I want you to find some life. I found some life, and a bunch of soldiers have their guns aimed at it. It's no good. Don't fall in love with a ghost. Julia angrily leaves the table. God, this room is a prison! Yes, and you need to get out. That's what I'm saying, but not with a man who is not of your world. You don't know a thing about this. Don't take me for a fool. Don't disrespect me like that. Maceo came by today, and I know what's in his heart, even if it never comes out of his mouth. It finally happened. <laughs> you finally lost your mind. Everyone in Laiguerra knows that his marriage is a joke. Rosa Ana says his kids aren't his, that there's only been one woman for him. Me and Maceo. At least he's real. After today, Lou, there's no way. You know why I never made a move for him? Because I knew Bobby would look down on it. Not because of the infidelity, but because that little coward didn't deserve me. You're so stuck up. No wonder you're alone. Yeah, stuck up and proud of it. And sick of all this crap. Then you gotta leave La Higuera. Don't stay for me and waste away. I can live with that sweet, nice Rosana, and she'll take care of me. If the great world has crushed your love of this town and the people here, what else can you do? Go out, find someone to respect, and may God use his good magic to turn that respect into love. And if I go, who'll teach the kids? If you stay, who'll teach you? What does the radio say? I've been too scared to turn it on. Times like these demand some courage, sis. 
Julia turns on the radio. For the countryside, our peasantry is resourceful. They are proud, and even if they're not well-educated, they possess an instinctive canniness. In fact, it could be argued that the peasant's native brilliance, his closeness to God, his close family bonds, his love of the land, his innate understanding of the animal and plant world... Listen to this romantic make bullshit. ...make it largely unnecessary to invest great amounts of money in his formal education. Money that could be better used in the cities. Money that could be better spent lining the pockets of President Barrientos. Money for infrastructure. Bridges, railroads, sewer lines, money for the kind of projects... Turn it off if it's going to give you a heart attack. ...promote industry and ensure the prosperity of all. Ladies and gentlemen, there is now some information coming into Radio Piodose from the vicinity of La Higuera, the bucolic little hamlet where so much of the country's attention has turned for the last two days. We are now getting reports... Are these confirmed? Do we have confirmed? This report is not officially confirmed, but apparently bears the weight of some authority. We have learned that the Argentine Marxist Ernesto Che Guevara was killed in combat today, five miles outside La Higuera. They're lying! Soldiers of the newly minted 2nd Ranger Battalion surrounded the guerrilla infiltrator at 10 o'clock this morning, and in a fierce firefight lasting three hours, Guevara was shot in battle and pronounced dead only moments ago on the battlefield. What time is it? It's 10 after 1. Officers on the scene have confirmed only provisionally the facts that we have just... In her fury, Julia grabs the radio and hurls it against the wall. <laughs> then falls to the ground in a heap of silent curses. Lucila goes to Julia and holds her a long moment. Dear God, in all your mercy, look down upon my little sister and cleanse her tears. Relieve her burning wounds, give her lasting peace, and let her carry her memories to a gentle grave with grace and tranquility. Blackout. Scene two, that night, inside the schoolhouse, a few candles on the floor and desks provide the only light. Che's blood is still visible on the walls and dirt floor. Felix sits at one of the desks, staring at his hands, drinking, wheezing slightly. Julia appears at the doorway. Where is he? They flew his body to Valle Grande. You didn't go with him? Not enough room in the chopper. Colonel Joaquin Zenteno Anaya, commander of the 8th Army Division, and Colonel Arnaldo Sauredo. An intelligence chief hogged up the only available seats. So guess who's going to be walking to Valle Grande tomorrow? Drink? Did you shoot him? Several of the guys wanted to do the honors. I went to a stupid little sergeant named Mario Teran, who was chosen for a good humanitarian reason. It was his birthday today. How do you live with yourself, Lieutenant? I asked Teran not to shoot Che in the face. I didn't want to make it too hard to identify him. I think they plan to amputate his hands and send them to Buenos Aires to check against his fingerprints. Stop talking. I can't stand the sound of your voice, Ramos. Rodriguez. Is there nothing you don't lie about? It's my job, miss. Felix takes a long drink. The only sound, Felix's very audible wheezing. Is that you? It started as soon as they took him away. It's the craziest thing. I've never had asthma in my life. 
No, it won't stop. The sound of Felix's breathing is so reminiscent of Ches. Before we built this school, we had to walk all the way to Via Piedad for an education. But my father believed in education for all, even the poor. And he knew that a lot of our kids were living in ignorance because they couldn't walk the 13 miles. He was old, and the one thing he wanted to do in life was bring a school to this town, even if it killed him. Julia kneels to touch the bloody place where Chad died. In the morning, I'm going to get some of the able-bodied men and women of La Higuera together, and we're going to put a floor down, and we're going to paint these walls and wash the old dirt off the windows. Get some of the new school supplies Barrientos keeps bragging about. And a great school is going to be born right here. I promise you. Felix looks at her, his asthma loud and getting louder, as if to suffocate him. Fade to black, end of play. Thank you very much for sharing your play with us. Uh, I think that we all enjoyed it very greatly. Um, and thank you so much for directing it as well. Oh, thank you. It was really, <laughs> it was really a pleasure. I have a question for Felix. Yeah. <laughs> it's ready. <laughs> so um, you played Chet in the off-Broadway production at The Public. No, no, no. no. He played Felix Rodriguez. Felix, sorry. No, that's OK. That's all right. <laughs> all these Felixes, it's uh, become a common name today. No, I was uh, rather confused during the royals. Yeah. <laughs> talking to me, talking to, who are you talking to? So how did it feel playing a different character? How? Oh, how, this time around? This time it's around. It's always fun. You know, it's fun because you, you uh, the play isn't yours. It's never yours as an actor. So, so you just sort of step into the dance at the moment the play is happening. The play remains itself. You know, it's this idea that I've always admired about the valiant attempt that playwrights do have, which is that they, they attempt to make a, uh, they, they attempt to make a, uh, an actor-proof play. You know, this idea that this concept that this, is, that this play is actor-proof. So no matter what part you play, or no matter who plays it, the story holds its own no matter what. Uh, it may not be a successful production, it may not be a successful deliverance of the play, but the play holds its own no matter what. So, uh, so it's always fun to come and try and hear different things. I'm always, I'm always, uh, I sit in the back. If I know that there's an understudy and they're rehearsing, I'll sit in the back and watch them play the parts <laughs> that I'm playing. It's fun, because it's not mine. It's the playwrights, you know, it's the play's play. Character, so. Also picked up the part like to an extreme intensity. I mean, I was listening and I, your breathing, even when you weren't speaking, was the asthma that Che was experiencing. Unfortunately, it helps that I smoke cigarettes for 25 years. <laughs> <laughs> I've quit. Yeah. But no, but yeah, no, I understand. You just kind of stay in the world of it. You yeah. Stay in the world of it for a little bit. Right. Just for a little bit. And it's guys, hard. I was right. And you guys it. painted that world so vividly for us. And I think, and I hope that our listeners feel that they are in this dirty shack of a schoolhouse um, and they are with Chet and Julia. Speaking of Julia, 
Jose, you let me know a few days ago on the phone that you actually got to speak with the Rio Julia Cortez. Mm -hmm. So I want to know what was that experience and, and how much of, of what you got from her um, was put into your writing mm -hmm. and rewriting of this play. Yeah, by the time we were able to contact her, the play was already written. We were in rehearsal. And, um, you know, I'm one of those writers who hates to rewrite in rehearsals. Uh -huh. So, like, don't even make me try because uh, <laughs> I just hate it so much. Um, no, what happened was that the woman who played Julia Cortez, she uh, was from Venezuela. Her name was uh, Patricia. And uh, quite well known in her country. And she had actually built a school and... Um, and she had done some big movies, you know, she was in The Mummy and things like that. Um, and she was also a fashion model, she was like a swimsuit model and things like that. She was quite well known, very well connected, and I believe she had a brother who was in, uh, in Bolivia, and uh, he tracked down Julia Cortez. I don't know how he did it, <laughs> but he found her, explained what was happening in New York, and coaxed her into a cyber cafe and Skyped with us. So we were uh, able to Skype with Julia uh, at a rehearsal room in the public theater uh, with her d down in Bolivia. And it was kind of surreal, you know, because then, you know, Patricia, who playing, was playing Julia, is talking to Julia. Uh, you know, we're all talking to her. And um, she, was, she was lovely. She, you know, she was, her, her attitude was like, um, does anyone care about my story? You really care about my story and enough to make a play? And, you know, and, and we said, yes, you know, we care. I care personally, deeply about her story. Um, and, uh, yeah, we, were, we didn't talk for very long, but, yeah, we were able to make contact with her. That's amazing. Mm. Has she read? Uh, I had, she had, I'd gotten an address and I sent it to her. Um, I never, ever heard from her. Oh. <laughs> so... Oh. Bad reviews in <laughs> Bolivia. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. Um, so I want to circle back to the Motorcycle Diaries because there's a quote that struck me. It's when Alberto is talking with Che and they're discussing revolution. And Alberto talks to Che about creating a new revolution in the Inca territories, about marrying this Inca princess and having these children and mm -hmm. then they're going to use the democratic means of voting to create this new revolution. And Cher responds by asking, a revolution without guns, it would never work out. And he says it would never work out. Mm. Um, what do you think that Cher would think about the social and racial movements that are happening and are so prominent today in America, such as the feminist movement and the Black Lives Matter movement. Mm -hmm. How do you think he would respond to it? And do you think that there can be a revolution that is peaceful without mm -hmm. guns? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I think if we were to imagine for a moment what Che, let's go back to the 60s for a second. And, and you had on one hand Martin Luther King, and the other hand Malcolm X. Right. Uh, there's no question where Che would go. 
he would be in Malcolm's corner. Yes. And he would say, you know, uh, Che would tell a, a very apocryphal story, whether, whether it's true or not, we don't know, but that while he was fighting in Cuba, uh, there was a moment where they were under attack and there was a box of medicine and a box of ammunition. And Che couldn't get them both. And he had a choice and he grabbed the box of ammunition. And that, in that moment, his life took that turn and never went back. I don't know if it's true, but it's a story that's been told. I think, you know, I think if he were here today, he, his, I think his response is, uh, if the police have guns, we have guns. If the police shoot, we shoot back. Uh, he would not believe in, I don't think he would believe in uh, passive resistance. I don't think he would have taken Gandhi's route. Uh, I think he would have said, you know what, uh, blood for blood, you know, uh, bullet for bullet. Um, he was not shy about that. He was not a man who was afraid of taking life. Um, so interesting too, because I find that ironic in, in the in the in the the American interpretation of him, you know, like how you said yes. you had the poster up on him and people walk around with T-shirts on, and yeah. kind of ironic because I, I believe my own personal opinion that if Che could have, he would have probably had a terror attack on the United States as well. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah, that One this country would not have, and it's ironic because you see all these sort of people who are walking around with their. Sh his image on their chest and so on and so forth. He, he would have hated that, he would right? Have, yeah. I mean, oh, like, absolutely. Like, yeah. absolutely. That, Extremely. It would have yeah. been a form of idolatry. He yeah. Would, yeah. But he would one of his most famous quotes is, uh, he said there should be hundreds, if not thousands, of Vietnams. Hmm. Uh, and he, you know, wanted the United States actually to get mired in third world conflicts and meet its destruction that way. Um, he hated this country. Mm -hmm. He just hated it. Um, so yeah, I, I think you're right. I mean... And then, what do you think? Well, I mean, listen, I, I may have written two pieces about Che Guevara, but I'm no Che Guevara. I mean, I am not a militant. I don't believe in an eye for an eye, and I don't believe a grab a gun when someone grabs a gun. I remember I was in, living in LA during the Rodney King riots, right. which, you know, my house was on a little hill so I could actually see the, the burning in Koreatown and, and south of the, of the 10, and my neighbor, who was worried about my, myself and my family, offered me a shotgun. He said, you're gonna need this, here's a shotgun. And I'm like, I'm not taking that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not, I, I don't, I'm not, you know, I, I believe in fighting the war through words. I believe that uh, what we do as artists is raise consciousness and, and, the, and the raising of consciousness to me is like as strong as a tank coming down the street. You know, there's that wonderful picture from Tiananmen Square of the man standing in front of the tank. Like, all right, I, I'd rather be the guy than the guy in the tank, you know? And, and you know, we, you know <coughs> artists get laughed at as being ineffectual or irrelevant, but, you know, what we do is to, you know, create the, the forum for change um, by, by raising ideas and bringing them to people's attention, um, by telling the stories that don't get told. Um, and that's what we do, and I'm proud to be doing that. 
and put a gun in my hand and I'll shoot myself. You know, that's, I'll just fuck it up. Absolutely. And I think that also as artists, we create the language for change too, mm-hmm. that you can't, uh, you can't know what it is that you want to change from without being able to name what that is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that your work for me in particular has really struck me in that it, uh, it's, it, it's very direct and to the point of, of, this kind of level of humanity. I mean, when Julia comes in the room, she into the schoolhouse, she's not there with any real agenda other than protecting this other person's humanity. Mm-hmm. And it's really um, just inspiring in that way. Um, in reading your work, I've been struck, and in seeing some of your work previously too, I've been struck by how strong your female characters are, um, which I am really interested in as a male playwright, um, how you write such strong, dynamic, and really powerful women. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, it's, I, and it's ironic, too, because I come from a family of four very strong brothers mm-hmm. um, <laughs> and one uber-strong sister. Um, when we were kids, we were little. My sister was like, is two years younger, and I'm the oldest. When my brothers would get into fights, they would run home and hide behind her, and, and not me. You know, they, <laughs> they knew she was gonna like she's the wall. You know, um, yeah. I mean, I I really I don't know why honestly identified with the struggles of my mother more than my father, for instance. Um, but I, I just found a kind of heroism to what my mother was trying to do. You know, with a third grade education, she had nine children. Uh, nine pregnancies, I should say. She lost three kids. Um, and I don't know, I just found a, a kind of beauty to, to that struggle. And my mom and I are still very close to this day, you know. Um, and I, I don't know, I, I remember I was in college, I did an internship at Playwrights Horizons. This was 1976. And when 42nd Street was really 42nd Street. <laughs> and uh, I remember we had a little, you know, they had like, uh, little forums for us interns to, to learn and like you know have little seminars and there was a, a young uh, Latin woman I don't, I don't know if she was Puerto Rican and she was saying there are no roles for us there are no roles for women and artists like me and I, I remember thinking to myself well if I could change one thing maybe I can change that you know and it really became a, it's a conscious choice it's not an accident that the leads in, in my plays are women. It's just not an accident. Um, and I had the example of you know, my mother and my sister for real strength and integrity and like, like fierce sort of survival instinct. Um, and, uh, and that's been really what I've been trying to capture. That's amazing, especially in this day and age where we're still talking about inclusive, being inclusive and, and being diverse and making sure stories of the quote unquote others are out there in, in theater and in art and in television where everyone just watches television all the time. It's really hard um, and it's really hard but so beautiful when you do see um, characters of color, especially female characters of color who are not, you know, just prostitutes who are not uneducated, who 
are not, you know, quote, like fucking up their lives, um, but who are strong and don't necessarily rely on their strength via a man. Mm-hmm. And and that's is beautiful and it, it's it's so striking. And whenever I see or read a play that is like that, I'm just like, yeah, like, <laughs> I can do it. Um, and you can relate so much. And, and I think about the younger generation that is coming up and the people who are in college or in high school at you know, the public schools that don't have arts, but they have that one drama class that they can read your plays and know that there is, there is work or there are stories out there more than what is shown in the American media. I think it's going to have a, such a profound effect. And, you know, it was a very conscious choice to end uh, my play Marisol with, you know, the, the, the angel who's black and the lead who's a Puerto Rican. So mm-hmm. two women of color are the heroes of that play. And they, and they basically are, you know, the new power you know, in the universe, that that plays about shifting power, and the, and it goes to them. You know, and that was not an accident because I hadn't seen that anywhere. I had not seen a play that ended that way anywhere. Well, thank you thank very you so much. much for oh, thank letting you. It's us been really your play today, and for um, directing it too. Thank you. I have, I have to say one last thing, which is that, you know I wrote the play about ten years ago, and um, it had only like the one production at the public, and then. I think some productions regionally, but not many. So I kind of forgot about it, to be honest. I hadn't thought about this play. I hadn't read it. I hadn't picked it up. And when you said that you wanted to do it, I was like, of all my plays, that one? Um, but I'm so glad you did. I really, it's like visiting an old friend. It just seems so timely and relevant to what, everything that was happening um, today in America, which is why I wanted to, to, to ask those questions about these social movements and and how Che would feel about it. And, you know, hopefully someone listening will, you know, be empowered. Don't like go crazy and get a gun or anything like that. But, you know, like have some, a fire fueled in them. Cause you, you definitely see that, that, de- that determination until his dying breath, he is still so determined um, for his cause. And that is so noble and that is so, so beautiful, and you really don't—you don't really get to see that that often these this day and age mm-hmm. with with Facebook and Twitter. Like people just quickly share stuff, and yeah. they're like, "I care about this," and all right, yeah. I'm gonna go and like post another picture about something else. I, I sense that I sense that there is a there is a movement coming, uh, and 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 it's an interesting one. I, I sense that there's a movement. Uh, <laughs> As ignorant as this may sound, it's it's a positivity movement that I think is actually starting to surface, which is that stories are going to be based on positive incidents and 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 joyful incidents. And I know I sound hokey when I say it, but I got to tell you, having been in the world of television the last five six years, it, 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 it's it's ending. <laughs> This, you know, lead character being a mean guy who has an affair and and snorts coke and and Mm. overcomes cancer because he had sex with a teenager concept (laughs) is kind of dying out. I got to be honest with you. And it's just a weird little thing that I but it's but it's starting. And the reason why I'm saying it's starting is because we we have people like you now and we have people like you who are doing this. So, you know, thank you for doing this. 
thank you for being brave enough to start a positive podcast because this is a positive <laughs> podcast this isn't a negative one do you know what i mean yeah so so continue no matter what continue thank you. yeah yeah so thank you yeah thank you. i don't think we could end on a better note than that yeah <laughs> <laughs> um thank you bye, bye. Aurora de rosa en amanecer, notame los a que gimió el violín. No velesco insomnio, do vivió el amor, así eres tu mujer. Principio y fin de la ilusión, así eres tú en mi corazón, así eres tú de inspiración. Madero de nave que naufragó, piedra rodando sobre sí misma, alma doliente vagando a solas, en playas olas así soy yo. La línea recta que convergió, porque la tuya al final vivió. Aurora de rosa en amanecer, notame los a que gimió el violín. No velesco insomnio, do vivió el amor, así eres tu mujer. Principio y fin de la ilusión, así eres tú en mi corazón, así vas tú de inspiración. Madero de nave que naufragó, piedra rodando sobre sí misma, armado doliente vagando a solas, de playa a solas así soy yo. La línea recta que convergió, porque la tuya al final vivió. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.